0: From Chicago, welcome to Three Degrees Discussions. I'm your host, Mike Vasquez.
1: I mean, I would argue right now, especially more historically than a couple couple years ago, but definitely um, now even still uh, the material science engineers, material science engineering discipline, if you will, in, in, the, in the scope of Benel powder Powderbed Fusion is they have a lot of power right now. Because, you know, we, we look at it from the holistic process of, you know, what are we trying to validate? What are we trying to control? It all comes back down to functionally welding principles, right? Um, and, how, and how we define our system to control that is, is very critical to it.
0: That's John Loretto from Renishaw. John is an applications engineer at Renishaw's Additive Manufacturing Solution Center. He joins me today to talk about the importance and difficulty in building a qualified process for metal 3D printing. Welcome to the podcast, John. So um, before we get started, why don't we just start with a little bit of an introduction and kind of how you ended up at Renishaw.
1: Sure, Mike. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, much appreciated. So, yeah, I mean, I've been doing, you know, metal additive for quite a few years now. I was fortunate enough to do, you know, some work with it in grad school, and I was still going through that phase of my life, and then um, worked for our service bureau for a number of years, got to run machines, manage quality processes, do powder development, process development. Um, Eventually, that led all the way up into you know, working for one of the OEMs that makes the equipment, right? So, I found myself at Renishaw probably just just about three years ago now. Um, originally onboarded in as a you know, material science my background, you know, like a metals process application engineer, if you will. Um, so I was always, you know, trying to help customers develop applications and projects and materials for their app, for what they're doing. Um, and I've now just kind of progressed over into an application manager role and even to some of the operational side, trying to get involved with, you know, things like part numbers and stuff like that, right? All the, all the glorious um, paperwork background side of it, right? Um, right? But yeah, that's been what I've been doing.
0: And how, I mean, you have a material science, kind of metallurgy academic background. and And kind of what was the, did you always have a, a pull for for additive stuff, or when when did that really start?
1: For certain, yeah. I mean, the initial pull and in additive, you know, it's it always starts with like the you know the rep wrap style printer, if you will, in your graduate school laboratory, right? So that's really where my first initial interest came to the technology. So really, it's the FDM side. Um, my curriculum at the, I went to Michigan Tech and the curriculum there is very uh, metals heavy. You know, it's, it's called material science, but at the time I was going through it, it's one polymer class, right? <laughs> so really, it's a metallurgy course um, or degree, right? Um, so really f- combine the two interfaces, if you will, between, you know, rep rep printers and metallurgy and working in some of the open source, uh, you know, enterprises there. And, you know, I really started to kind of dig into that and kind of get more interested you know throughout throughout my career
0: yeah, and for me i know when when i was starting out kind of similar similar pathway like it didn't really click for me until you know, started getting in front of the machines seeing the actual living material science in front of you and i mean as as you just described you've operated a whole host of machines and in variety of of platforms so how important do you think it is to have that background of kind of you have the materials background but also on the day-to-day basis you're seeing up close and personal and 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 throughout the the time that you've you've been in the space like printers operating materials getting cycled through so how how important do you think that is in in kind of living breathing additive today
1: yeah i mean i think that you know scholastic you know endeavors if you will teach you the core process fundamentals moreover they teach you how to understand um, and, with, and withdraw out critical variables from the process and try to analyze and interpret what's actually going on live, as you had alluded to, right? So, I mean, I would argue right now, especially more historically than a couple of years ago, but definitely um, now even still uh, the material science engineers, material science engineering discipline, if you will, in, in, the, in the scope of Benel powder bed fusion is they have a lot of power right now. Because you know we we look at it from the holistic process of, you know, what are we trying to validate? What are we trying to control? It all comes back down to functionally welding principles, right? Um, and how and how we define our system to control that is is very critical to us. So yeah, I mean, it it's it's been invaluable, you know, or very excuse me, very valuable, very valuable, um, for my my work going forward. You know, I think it's done a great strides for me actually having a material science background in this industry for certain. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and and being at Renishaw too, uh, the, uh, I've had the the good fortune of being out to to your facility out um, near Chicago, and for any of those who have been there during AMUG or others have have seen a very impressive site there. And one of the thing, first things I I learned of, about the company as a whole. I mean, I'd certainly been familiar with with Renishaw for a time in England and 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 seeing it across the industry, but of the company as a whole additive is a, a component of many different parts many kind of diversified business where you're doing a lot of measurement precision and inspection um, tools for all sorts of, of manufacturing purposes so how does that kind of fit in with with the additive side of things I get the sense that there's a lot of emphasis on kind of machine reproducibility and and part reproducibility. I struggle to say that today, but (laughs) in in, in what you guys are doing.
1: Yeah, you hit the nail on the head, right? I mean, Ranisha is, it's a great uh, workplace for an engineer to really nerd out, you know, if you will. it's It's a manufacturing company down to its core. I mean, most of the company is engineers. There's very few you know accountants and finance people (laughs) you know they exist of course right but it's it's all it's a big group of people you know who really um enjoy what they're doing and really care about what they're doing but like like you said everything we do from a technology development perspective and r&d focus is all based upon metrology as a whole right so that's that's a very very large topic and what avenues you can leverage metrology come in all sorts and spans right so whether it's You know, like you say, using our laser interferometers to do one thing or our touch trigger probes to do another thing or machine tool calibration things. You can talk at length about that, right? What's interesting about that, though, is that we can then leverage those same manufacturing principles that we sell on to end users and actually use it to manufacture our own equipment as well. So that's one of the things that I find in the industry that's pretty unique about the Renaissance platform itself. um, And that, like anything, there's some subsystem componentry is obviously bought into that platform. But when it comes down to the optical control module, the PLC, the controller of our optical unit um, that controls where the lasers go in the build process bed, it's all designed by Rana Shah, right? So we think about, you know, process control, not only from the sense of just manufacturing the melted component, the thing that we solidify out of powder metal, but also it goes full scale back up into to the entire machine platform holistically, right? So, you know, therefore what the word that gets utilized a lot in our in our day-to-day operations here is that it's we're very vertically integrated in in that sense right so there's a striving manufacturing uh, disciplinary approach to that platform that's manufacturing the metallic component and then finally with the in-process metrology and any empirical data you're going to collect on that platform during the manufacturing process right um you know and if you really split out you know what portions of the additive process are you really going to try to concentrate on I mean, it's ne- it's never ending, <laughs> unfortunately, right now, right? In the sense of there's so much, I had an old boss who always used to say, you know, quality management systems are more or less, at the end of the day, recording and documenting what you say you record and document, right? <laughs> um, which is your quality process charts and KPI indicators for what you're doing for validation, verification of your, your process, right? So I think there's two different avenues to this conversation really is the machine side and then obviously the, the metallurgy side of the equation as well.
0: Right. And and to the extent, like with with customers and users and, and people you interact with on a daily, daily basis, kind of how has the perspective on quality manage, management changed over the last kind of three to five years? Has there been a, a shift in that conversation? Is there more emphasis on it?
1: Uh, specifically the additive i mean for sure i think the customer base as a whole um is more or less starting to become uh more educated on the process and moreover what the process requirements are to be on their particular industry so i'm sure you see this all the time too mike in that you might because i mean being the oem or you being in more of the consultantary role you get to talk to at some point you know a guy in his garage you know one day and then one of the largest you know aerospace com- companies in the whole world, right? In the same day, right? So right. The, the breadth and distribution of conversations you're going to have with the, either of those guys is is massively different. So, but in general though, you know, you do find that people are starting to, you love having those conversations where people are asking the difficult or indoor tough questions. Because at the end of the day, I think the end user customer base is going to help drive the OEMs to manufacture the component geometry, or excuse me, the component printer you know in a way that benefits their quality processes right so things that they need to be able to control we have to build the machine to accommodate for those um, those requirements right so we definitely see in our sales process if you will for a machine platform getting the capital good in there is just one bit of the process right there's a whole uh, scope of architectural development to the manufacturing process that you know Renishaw and I'm sure the other OEMs too have to help the customer developed to achieve confidence in the platform because customer confidence in the platform enables more machine sales and therefore enables the technology to grow, um, throughout the world at the end of the day. Right. And that's where, you know, it comes full circle too, with the customers, um, the OEMs making machines and then the certification audit authorities as well. Right. They're, they're ramping up as well, um, with what they're providing out there as guidelines, you know, to, to give those, like I said earlier, the guys in the garage, more confidence to buy one of these things and start doing something with it, right because you know they don 't have millions of dollars to throw an r and d budget to validate a parameter set if you will you know
0: for sure and i 'm guessing in the types of conversations that you 're having on the sales front it certainly evolve with with the number of people that are engaged right it's uh, there 's a different conversation you have with the engineers and the operators using it on a day to day basis versus someone on of you know, the engineering management side that has a vision for a center of excellence or getting new machines in or an order of a shop, a CNC shop that's, that's trying to revitalize some of their, their offerings. So I think the, the, the types and conversations that we certainly have on, uh, on that front is, is fascinating to see what level of understanding people have about the industry, the, the operation of machines and kind of the level of detail and sophistication that you can go because, like you said, there's no real end to some of the quality stuff, especially with the um, the different aspects of of the process. It's not just the machine; it's uh, it's other parts as well.
1: It, it, it's really interesting because, like you know, we're we're at Renishaw generally. You know, we're very used to people talking about machine calibration, right, in the sense of linear or rotary axis stages right but we don't ever talk about that in additive right now i think it's because there's many other bigger fish in the pond to start going after right um that's interesting and i and i laugh a little bit about it because we talk about how we have this you know um we have an encoder on our z-axis to control the linear displacement of the 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 build height functionally. Right. So it's really important for that to be correct, but no one ever asks us to provide them with like an, a runout report for how well that platform moves. They just want to know what is the shrinkage factor across 350 millimeters. Right. And I think that will happen in time. I mean, you know, good luck selling a machine tool, not giving someone that information. You know what I mean? Right. So, <laughs> right, right. so, and I think that'll happen in time. Cause at the end of the day, I think there's different ways to look at it. Right. But they're, you know and <laughs> i'll I'll dig at our own technology a little bit but in reality it, it's a it's a welding process right and the welding process is it's multi-axial in the sense of the galvos are moving up in the encoder bank or up in the optical bank and then progressing down through a couple focusing lenses or conical lenses of some capacity and going through a focusing coil through a protective window onto the bed and then something's happening down there right um and then the Z axis is moving down with displacement. It's going to have yaw pitch roll and run out, right? So there's, I think in time, But the point is, is that, you know, in time, those things will become more, more open for discussion. But right now I think people are more concerned with, you know, well, it's a different scope, right? Again, the guys want to know, like, it's like, we'll talk about like the, the machine shop guys, right? They want to know hardness and density, and they're probably happy with that. If they can pull a tensile bar at the end of the day, right? where the aerospace guys want to know what the um, positional repeatability of Galvo X on laser one is across bed at this velocity, right. You know um, and therefore the conversations you're going to have with those guys are going to be completely different from one-on-one, one-on-one, you know.
0: Right. And from, from where you sit and all the experience you've had, kind of if you put yourself on the other side of the kind of the, the customer side, what advice do you, give people as they start to think about some of these questions because i mean even for for someone that's been in the space for a long time it can be overwhelming to that you start to go down the amount of variables that are in each of the processes and um each of the machines and each of kind of the workflows are there there are things you kind of end up focusing on and, and trying to to build a, a premise around to help with with your organization of of, of thinking through kind of quality in the process
1: i mean you're completely right if, if you say too too much too early it, relative to a sales process you're going to scare everyone away from it right so there's a measured approach that i think any oem would be taking and how they deliver that solution to the customer right so being from run perspective we really consider it being more of a solutions provider you know um in a sense of here's a machine to go print stuff with it good luck you know so in that in that sense, in that vein, you know, what we try to do is educate the customers on a, we don't develop their, their quality management system for them, right? But we have a lot of, you know, empirical data that we've collected on our own accord and or have our own anecdotal experiences on our platform relative to what they should be looking at from a quality process, right? So our, our intention is to obviously educate the customer to the point where they develop some form of consumer confidence in the machine. But also make it something that's, uh, you know, digestible, if you will. Right? You know, right, let's let's take off the bit that you can chew and develop a business case around a very focused, highly engineered um, component geometry, and get rocking and rolling in that regard. As new opportunities and markets open up, that's where you start to expand out and reach into something. I, I'm not a big fan of throwing someone a machine platform and saying good luck. It, it doesn't really benefit the industry or or run a shot directly, you know, for that matter, right? It's really, we find the best, is that going to the market scope um, for the industry, are ones that are done with a measured approach and, you know, allows a customer to get confident with that thing and really start running it, right? Um, right, and, and, and that's that what That gets I, into a whole conversation. You. Go, go ahead, sorry. Yeah.
0: yeah, and I was just gonna say, that's that's what I've even seen that, that your solution center is there. And I mean, you guys are partnered with, I think ASTM facilities across the globe and universities. So you have kind of a platform of, of installs at a variety of places that you're interacting with, with folks on, on multiple different levels, right? It's not just, kind of, it's, there's some kind of the, the really hardcore kind of aerospace approach, but also kind of everywhere in between, even from, for, for some of the newer users of, of the platforms.
1: For certain, right? I mean, and, and that's the thing too. The industry, I think, is still trying to figure out, you know, it's, um, wh- what needs to be delivered to the consumer as a solution to help them validate component geometry. Um, I, I think there's a – well, what, what I when I when – let's take a step back. So when I say validate component, I think understanding how the machine platform architecture moves relative to – like I said earlier, Z-axis movement, recorder speed and movement displacement uh, accuracies or inaccuracies, Z-height, repeatability, that type of thing. That That's more stuff that I would argue is on the OEM side. I mean, Ranishad's responsibility to in, improve that or and or maintain some form of repeatability on that platform. When it comes into weld integrity and process conditions and how you identify potential failure modes in that, I think right now the industry is more kind of sort of just figuring out what they want to do in that regard, you know? So, uh, and for example, you know, if you look at like a a casting industry, right, there's simulation software to Wazoo, right. On, on how, you know, a a die cast is going to solidify at X volume rate. Right. I mean, there's tons of data on that and it's probably very well, you know, accepted and understood that it be fact at some point, right? And it's and it's agreed upon in the industry because of standards, right? But at the end of the day, you know, people are still gonna be pulling tensile bars on castings, right? Or taking chunks out of it to measure for shrinkage porosity in certain locations, if you will, right? So I think right now we're trying to figure out where does simulation meet up with the empirical data. Because at the end of the day, I mean everyone's still talking about getting a basis on stuff, right? So, right. <laughs> or a basis, or we can hold some level of sigma across, you know, a, a population data set, right? You know, it, it, it's, it's kind of funny. I mean, you can hold two sigma anything if you make the bandwidth large enough, right? <laughs> you know, it's not, and that's the balance of where is that bandwidth. We're not certain just yet.
0: Yeah, and just to even thinking about it from a material science standpoint, there's so many different way, ways to characterize a part, right? I mean, a lot of the focus, at least I've seen, is the the physical properties, density, tensile strength, modulus, things like that. But then you get into other applications where those are critical, like you don't want your parts to to crumble, but at the same time, chemical resistance, long-term fatigue, other types of of of, of testing that, I mean, it exists in this space, but I would say it's um, few and far between that like a general data sheet isn't necessarily going to hit up every single material property known to man that would be applicable for for a lot of applications. So right, I mean that, and it can't, right? Like it's, that's not realistic.
1: Exactly. The data sheets, you know, what I call those, like if you, any any OEMs or Ranishad's website will, you know, here's 10 to 20 materials that you can start with, right? So I consider those more or less as market enablers for the end users, right? So again, that goes back to that earlier point of it helps develop, solutions for a customer in which they can then learn the principles on a known or more known material um, that's been validated on the machine platform and then allow those principles to transpire and allow them to progress onto more complicated materials you know so like if someone's going to do aluminum you know something some type of without saying nomenclatures i guess uh, f- fancier aluminum than alsa 10 mg is what i'll say um you know but they're going to probably start there right? They're going to start with the, the bread and butter of metal additive as of right now and then expand out into other avenues as the application drives it to that to that position, right? So right now, those data sheets are tensile yield elongation, reduction of area, density, and maybe a hardness test after um, some heat treatment to some AMS standard or something, right? And that's that's going to be where it is. You know, I think in time, we'll start to talk about fatigue a lot more I mean I I think I hear that every time I talk to someone about (laughs) and it makes sense it's an important thing you know so some customers do like well we're going to ignore fatigue and just not ever do a rotary component with additive okay well that's one approach that's fine um and others are like nope we got to have this whole thing qualified out to wazoo you know before we even print a density bar with it you know that kind of thing so Again, everyone has a slightly unique approach. No one's centralized in anything. And I think that's why there's not a lot of sharing in all circumstances as well. is because each guy who comes up with said standard is an internal standard that they think is their, what they know is their IP, because it's not something they can just go Google how to print metal additive correctly, you know, that kind of thing.
0: Right. Yeah. It's a bit of a black art and even, I mean... uh... We've had long conversations, you and I, about kind of the documentation side of things. And, and that gets into all the steps that we do before getting into the machine. And what, what are you doing after to, for heat treatment and surface finishing? That also has an impact on the part. So it's not the, the, there's so many different control points that um, can, can impact that final value, whatever you're looking for in, in the process
1: certain right i mean there's you got to give those these guys who've been doing this for you know 10 15 years a lot of credit because they're the ones who are originally down there twisting knobs trying to get this stuff to work correctly and has any of it written down probably not but then they know how to do it though right yes, absolutely um, and that and that's and that's great you need those guys for certain every technology goes through that phase you know of um you know guys staying late in the office twisting knobs and playing watching it print for five hours you know um it's definitely a a phase of of the technology but right now like you say it's now it's starting to develop into i think where it has to go into more of a it's it's manufacturing right it's it's a it's a short run manufacturing program there are some bespoke applications where it's large scale but a lot of it is you know shorter production runs in in comparison to the grand scheme of things if you will right not you know relative to additive it does quite a bit but manufacturing in general you know it's it's a smaller subset for sure right
0: now right. Yeah. and kind of getting into kind of last few questions for for the day i'm i'm curious i mean you can't talk to anyone for more than 15 20 minutes about the state, the state of affairs with covid and everything but how have you been, and and seen if if any changes because of Of the pandemic and perspectives on manufacturing and supply chain and 3D printing, has has that spawned any new conversations or new approaches in the last few months?
1: Quite a few. And I think the, the one we realized the most, and, you know, I think it's forced a lot of people to get a bit creative, right? So when these manufacturing facilities are on lockdown, if you will, and only offer in, you know, essential personnel, G- generally speaking unless you're some form of like a lights out operation uh, of some capacity which which do exist there's always going to be those oddballs right but we um have done a lot a edu- lot of education to our end user customer base over the past couple months here about um servicing and calibration of these machine platforms on their own accord you know right now there's a the standard nomenclature for metal additive right now is, you know, is every six months or 12 months, you know, a guy comes in to redo a scan field, focus, power map, et cetera, right. On the machine platform to revalidate some machine condition, hit go again. Right. So we're finding that there's becoming a greater reliance on the customer base to understand really how these things work, the platforms. And then what we can do as a supplier to help them under, to educate them for one thing, but then also to enable them to do that themselves. Right. So, once again, once you force a customer to be in control of their quality processes, which includes machine calibration, they become better understanding of the technology and become process owners. And that's really where they can shine because can, you can root cause things better, right? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a classic engineering thing, right? You take stuff apart to figure out how it works, right? Well, if you know how that power mapping of the laser works, it, it gives you a better warm fuzzy, if you will, about it's gonna shoot the right power every time you ask it to do that, right? Um, and, you know, so that's some of the stuff that we've noticed for certain, you know, let alone inventory control and that type of thing, right. Which is some of the more obvious metrics of COVID, you know, but, um, that's where we've seen a big, big impact on us.
0: Excellent. Well, I appreciate the the discussion today and, uh, hopefully we can do this again soon or on a regular basis as we get into to different topics. And, uh, once again, appreciate the time.
1: No problem, Mike. Anytime. We're happy to talk.
0: Awesome. Thanks, John. Good stuff. All right. Stopping the recording now.